All right. Good Thursday, everyone. Thank you so much for, for waiting just a, a bit. It had to move things around due to some personal matters, but we are ready to rock now. And Jen, I was really glad that you wrote on this because I very much wanted to talk to you about your impressions of Tim Connolly leaving the Denver Nuggets to assume the same president of basketball operations role in Minnesota. Yeah, I think it's a coup for the Timberwolves and a loss for the Nuggets. Tim Connolly has done a great job, especially in the draft, which in those type of markets needs to be the lifeblood of the team because they're not going to be on the short list for high-level free agents most of the time. And it's the second time this has happened to Denver, right? They lost Masai Ujiri the same way without any compensation. Um, And I thought it was pretty remarkable that Connolly, even though he was under contract, basically had it set up so that he could still pursue offers from another team and that Denver couldn't even get compensated for it. Like normally something like this would see a first round pick change hands. Um, And instead he's just gone. And I mean, the Nuggets still have all their players and their head coach. And so maybe, you know, uh, Maybe maybe they'll be fine, right? Like they they could just keep it going with with Jokic, or whatever. Like as long as they have Jokic, I mean, it's not like they're going to suck or anything. But it's just it's just disappointing that they weren't able to step up and and keep you know one of the league's better executives and lost him basically for nothing right while they're in their window of potentially competing for a championship. Yeah, whoever Tim Conley's agent is, and I don't know who that is, or maybe it was himself, but to get that provision in there, because everyone kind of wondered, why is it that they're not getting compensation if he's under contract? And so to have that set up in his country, I mean, have you ever heard of anything like that before? I think you were the first to report it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it struck me as really odd because the first thing when I, when I started asking some people around it, I was like, well, surely Minnesota's going to end up having to cough up a first and... And I was told, no, they're not going to have to give Jack. And I was like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? And especially because, you know, they already went through this when Washington pursued Tim Connolly a couple years ago. And you would think you would you would set up a pretty ironclad deal to retain him uh, in return for paying him a little more. And it seems like instead, Denver almost did the opposite, where. They stretched to kind of the bare minimum they needed to go to and just gave him optimal flexibility to get out of it. And it ended up blowing up on them. It seems that way. And and as you reported, the Wizards' interest wasn't that serious in the end, at least in terms of what they were willing to do themselves. And I think they also were just kind of happy with how Tommy Shepard had managed things over their like five-month search process (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Back then. (laughs) But it, yeah, I mean, that's just like the Nuggets are cheaping out. I mean, there's really no other possible explanation for this. And now maybe this, we, we're we paying so much in luxury tax. It's a zero-sum game. We can't right. keep, keep Tim Conley. Uh, but again, this is, a, as you noted in your piece, a continuing trend for this organization. And will they actually pay luxury tax? I'm really interested to see if they'll actually do it because they could end up just trading Monty Morris and like one or two other small contracts and, you know, maybe give up like a second round pick or something in the process and get out of the tax this year. And even though they have three max contracts, it is possible for them to avoid being in the tax. And based on their history, I think that's something they're going to be really interested in doing. Uh, And that 
that Porter contract is the other thing that's kind of hanging over them now because he's entering the first year of a five-year max extension that is almost fully guaranteed. And we just don't know what we're ever going to get from him again. Ironically, if he actually is better and and plays well next year, that probably makes it easier for them to duck the tax because, because then he has trade value, right? From him. Well, yeah. e- either that or just that he's playing well, and so you don't necessarily need the other guys. Um, and also, I guess if he's, although I guess you could say if he's playing well, then you're a championship contender, and so you it's harder to sell. But you know, Mike Singer reported that. Nikola Jokic is comfortable still with the direction of the team, and he's already said basically that if offered, he's going to sign that max extension, super max, as soon as he possibly can at the start of the year. But if I'm Nikola Jokic, I I might want some commitment here before. This is, I mean, because yeah. he has a leverage point here, right? Right. And so this this is his chance to use it. Obviously, I, I still think your end game is that is that you end up signing that <laughs> extension, right? Just get the bag and then worry about everything else later. Well, well yeah, but he'll cuz he won MVP two years in a row. He'll he would be eligible for it as a free agent next year and I mean, he could probably get some insurance for a career ending injury. I'm guessing Nikola Jokic would have a full max contract no matter what happens to him in uh this next season. So I but I I agree. Yeah. I think he's going to just sign it because he's low drama and that's just the type of guy that he is, but I just I would hope that he and his representation are kind of at least have their eyebrows raised a little bit about this and will get a commitment that they are not going to be cheaping out on salary after they cheaped out on executives. Um, uh, so, so this is interesting to you. I don't suppose you're able to get any kind of further information on what this equity piece is for Connolly, were you? Uh, no, no, that, that yeah. remains a mystery. Um, the, the general in talking to people, the general perception I got was that it's a very small piece of equity, which would almost have to be when you're talking about a billion-dollar enterprise, right? Right. Um, but none, nonetheless, I mean, if you even even a very small piece of equity, when you average it out over, you know, a, a, whatever his deal was, I think it was five years. I think five is a five-year deal. Yeah. Yeah. So it adds, you know, it, it, even what's you know. One one tenth of one percent of a billion dollar enterprise still adds some significant value to this deal, right? Yeah. So because the reason I asked about that, and you know, I, nobody else has reported that either, so I'm not surprised you, you haven't heard it. But that's kind of been pointed to as the oh, this is just such a crazy, overwhelming offer. There's no way the Nuggets ever could have matched, and Woj is like, well, the chance for life changing wealth. Uh, with the equity piece that that was such a big deal number one the nuggets wouldn't even come close to the eight million a year was what the reporting all seems to indicate he was making three i think windhorse had that a couple days ago and i've I've heard yeah yeah i i i heard it was a little more than that but yeah and definitely in that ballpark yeah and also i mean quite frankly he's underpaid before right like totally if they had just paid him well well enough that they didn't have to put this provision in where he could just leave, right? Like, let's say back at when he flirts with the Wizards, they just say, okay, we'll just pay you the same as the Wizards are going to. They would at least still have him under contract at that point, and they could have gotten something for him if, you know, to just get a first-round pick from the Wolves, or maybe they just still have the guy too because they wouldn't want to give up a first-round pick going forward to get him. So, I mean, this all goes back to the original sin of 
first they cheaped out of Masai, then they got Tim Connolly, then they gave an extension, they promoted him to president of basketball operations. But then this Wizards thing, which he didn't really apparently want to do, they, I don't know if it was at the Wizards point or when they promoted him, probably the latter, where it was like, okay, you know, I'll stick around for now, but I'm not going to, I have this weird contract that doesn't require yeah. any compensation. And so even now when he got this better offer, they weren't willing to come close to the $8 million, not to mention even this equity thing. And then finally, last point, the equity thing, it's pretty much in everybody's interest here, including even the Nuggets, to play up how much that is. But we don't know what the vesting is of that. We don't know how much it is, under what circumstances. We don't know if he has to, yeah. we don't know if he has to buy into the equity with his own money either. Like Because sometimes yeah. there's strings that come with it like that. If it's almost like a like a stock option type thing like right. there's just we're, there we just don't know how to value that equity piece we know it exists and we don't know anything else about it yeah if he gets fired after three years does he still get it or does it not vest until five years or there's just so many things that it could change that i mean the, or, the, and, yeah. and what about what about what if the sale doesn't close <laughs> well, they've already got 20%, so I think it sounds like it's moving in that direction. It seems like it wasn't going to for a little while. Buying an NBA team on the installment plan, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that was a way to get around this uh, provision that would have enabled the minority owners to buy it first. And they it seems like dude, that may be more why it's like that, but also they probably could use a little more to get the financing together but yeah i guess if interest rates go up like so much maybe it could make it difficult i don't know but uh he he had the all-important dinner with his family at glenn taylor's house in mankato with his family so i, th I think we know it's all fine now right <laughs> like every single yeah and uh ethan Kaysen was there as well he's, he's uh I just love like how all the reporting, whenever the Wolves do anything, you know, Gerson Rosas, oh, is such a family man. Yeah, sure, you know, he ended up uh, being fired for cheating on his wife. But, you know, at least he had that dinner with uh, <laughs> with, with Glenn Taylor. <laughs> dinner with, yeah, yeah. The, 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 uh, you don't need to the comment to, on that. We can. <laughs> no, just that, no, you're right. I mean, like the, the, the trip to Mankato is becoming a little bit of a comedy routine. <laughs> I like how uh, uh, Krasinski added, like, exactly, you know, the geographic location. Oh, it's about an hour and a half away from Minneapolis uh, as well. So, all right, I guess he had the hour hour and a half long drive from the airport. So, we, we get additional color every time there's one of these meetings. What what about for the Wolves, though? What does this say about them? It's uh, – I, I thought Krasinski actually had it right. It was a statement of intent uh, yeah. that they want to be more than what they've been. I mean – I thought Sacha Gupta, you know, obviously I could, I go way back with him, so I'm always going to be a fanboy. But um, he, uh, I thought he did a, a really nice job of of keeping everything pointed in the right direction uh, post Rosas, and apparently their intention is to keep him there, and that Connolly is okay with that. Uh, although you're already seeing reports of other people potentially being brought into Minnesota, so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll see how that ends up looking. Yeah, some big names too, like Adam Simon, and and I can't remember who else was. Matt, I, I saw Adam there. Simon, Matt Lloyd, Dell Demps, uh, Darrell yeah. Arthur. Obviously, it's not going to be all of them, but uh, some interesting names for sure. Yeah, but people with more kind of scouting background. So yeah, I mean, the reporting had been that the Wolves and uh, Rodriguez and Laurie were looking for a top five executive, and you know, I'm not sure that Tim Connolly is the top five executive, but after maybe like the top three or four, he's right in that next group for sure. 
You know, I think yeah. he has he has a, a reasonable argument to be around that level. Yeah, absolutely. He he was he was he was certainly probably the top gettable executive, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I, I guess Masai was uh, uh, he signed the new contract in Toronto after last year. Yeah. If all this had happened a year ago, it would have been really interesting to see what had happened happened with Masai. So, but I mean, good sign for the Wolves, and it'd be interested to see what Connolly can do with a larger staff at his disposal now he's it's a pretty small group in denver you know because they're cheap and but they've they've done a very good job overall and so i think a chance with more resources to implement even more of his vision is something that he probably was looking forward to also so it looks like calvin booth is gonna also ascend. Uh, yeah sorry go ahead also reunited with two draft picks that he had already traded uh malik <laughs> beasley and jared vanderbilt so interested <laughs> to see what happens there so uh calvin booth is going to ascend it looks like in denver i actually met calvin he was one of the first nba people i ever met at the euro camp in 2012 he was unemployed at the time but obviously you know seven foot guy you don't miss him but he was just sitting there in the bleachers and i was didn't even have anything other than my own blog at the time and because i think the euro camp was like well if you're willing to fly to italy we'll credential you so why not they credentialed me so I went in there and <clears throat> struck up a conversation with him. He was actually, I believe, unemployed at the time for basketball, but just was trying to go to events and like get in and, and make connections the, the same way I was. And uh, very interesting to see that he's had this incredibly rapid ascension over the last 10 years or so, first in Minnesota, ironically enough, uh, and then now in Denver. Uh, do you have any further insight uh, on him and his style and why he's so well regarded? Uh, I... You know, you, it's, it's always hard to say. Because, but, yeah. It, well, a lot of times you do, you don't really know what's going on in the other in the other camp either. Like even when yeah. you're in the front office, you know, if you're not directly on the phone, and like he wasn't my primary point of contact with with Denver at any point. So like I, it's hard for me to tell you much about what his what his style is like, and it's tough to know a lot of times what's going on inside the room. Unless you're getting it from people who are in that room with the guy, because you're 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 just not there. So it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like trying to say who's the league's best assistant coach. Well, we we don't know. We're not at practice every day, right? <laughs> so, uh, it, so be, it's it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, I guess he's come up in many discussions recently about openings, and so it, you know, it does seem like he's pretty well regarded, but. I don't really know other than the fact that he was nice to me and everyone seems to regard him well and he's been a candidate for some of these openings uh, much more about him either. So I, I guess we will see. But in the interim, it probably doesn't really matter that much for the Nuggets because they have their team and they don't really have much in the way of other team building options. They're out a they have a first round pick this year, but they're out a 23 first and a 25 first. And so they're probably they, they could potentially move some other picks if they really wanted to bring someone else in or cut money for example so we'll see what what happens in denver now so you also wrote and i usually read your stuff but i haven't had a chance to this morning before we talk about the memphis grizzlies in their offseason and what is it for them as a contender that makes it somewhat of a a rare situation as they go into this offseason 
I mean, they're a contender with 12 players signed for next season, and yet they have 19 million in cap room and two first round picks and all their future picks. Like they have so much more flexibility to do almost anything than any contender in memory. And I think it is fair to call them a contender at this point. I mean, they had the second best record in the league. They took Golden State to six, even with John Morant not playing the last three games. Had they pulled out that game four, that series does potentially end differently. So I, you know, and and then you watch what Golden State is doing to Dallas. Obviously, I think you'd you'd have to put Memphis on the short list for next year, right? Even if they just run it back and don't really do anything. And what's weird is that they have this, so they have this incredible ability to do something, but there just isn't the move out there right now that that makes any sense. Like even with the cap room, like who's a forward out there that they would pay nineteen million dollars to? You know, with that cap room, especially if they're not going to like dump a max offer sheet on Miles Bridges. Then, then what's what's left after that? Like the, the Ford market this year is is very blah. And when you get into even kind of making a blockbuster trade, like they're at a point where they really end up shortening their window if they, you know, push all their chips in for like some 32 year old on a max deal or or whatever. Yeah. And so there's like a very narrow subset of moves that really make sense right now, even though they have probably more optionality than any contender we can remember. So it's a, it's a very odd set of circumstances um, that I think is going to end up, even though they have, like, they have this incredible list of possibilities of things they could do. And I think the end game is still going to end up being pretty boring this offseason as they try to roll that optionality into the future where they could potentially use it better. Yeah, and you know they are going to be in a little bit more difficulty next offseason because Morant's extension would kick in, which will be for the Supermax, uh, you would think. It, we won't know for sure if he, does, yeah. he could get injured and not make All-NBA next year because uh, he, he does not qualify based on making it this year. But then also they got Dylan Brooks uh, as a free agent at that point as well. Steven he might Adams. require a new deal. Yeah, Steven Adams comes off the books. And... I guess the question is, what is, would their appetite for luxury tax be if they wanted to make a major acquisition now, once the Brooks extension, if they keep him, and once Morant's extension kicks in, and they still, even Brandon Clark it would be someone yeah. they might want to bring back also to pay more to. So if they actually really have this appetite for luxury tax, then I think this is the, really their last chance to make a big move, just acquiring someone for nothing with cap room. But you just get, that's an extra twenty million bucks towards the tax as soon as the twenty three twenty four season. Yeah, and I think especially once they extend Bain, that's when they really have a problem in twenty four twenty five. And yeah. the uh, the interesting thing is like Robert Parra is so much wealthier than he was when he bought the team, and I first started working there, and like we were we were basically like. <laughs> <laughs> like the Moneyball Memphis, right? When we got there, now it's just like a completely different paradigm uh, because uh, his his company has done so well. And I I do I do think like even though you know from a strict profitability standpoint, like it it does not pencil out to go into luxury tax in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I I do think there's probably more willingness to do that than there are some other places um, that we might have talked about very recently. <laughs> So as you went through it, did you have kind of a pie in the sky recommended course of action for them or you just really couldn't find one in the end? Yeah. So the move I see for Memphis is for a player who is not necessarily out there yet. I think uh, that 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 big push, that sexy move for like a, you know, a, a big forward 
who can shoot and defend, who fits around Jackson, Bain, and and Morant, who I think are the three guys who are definitely going to be there going forward. I think some of those other younger guys are probably still going to be there going forward too. But I think I think ultimately for them, like that is that is the type of player who would really push the needle for him. But it's hard to find somebody like that. Like is is Jeremy Grant even good enough for them to for the, him to like to really be worth that push? Um, you're hoping for almost like a, a better version of Harrison Barnes or I don't know, uh, somebody like Wiggins, maybe like, I, I don't know. I, I, you can see it's hard because they've tried this a couple times already. I mean, they they made their move on Justice Winslow and they moved up in the draft to get Zaire Williams. Like they're trying to fit that slot in the roster. But like those players are the hardest ones to find. No, I agree. And so I had a couple of ideas for you. Okay. Of just ways they could add in. Now, we should note first, before we talk about them using cap space, that there is an opportunity cost, which is be the bird rights on Tyus Jones. If they use cap space, the most they could use to pay to bring him back would be the room mid-level of just over $5 million for a two-year deal. $5 million per season for a two-year deal. And now maybe they could acquire whoever it is in a sign and trade and then they could stay over the cap somehow but you they would have to send something else out to match salary right. in that circumstance but the guy i was thinking if they went after cap space try to find out if he what his health status is but i think tj warren would be a really good that, fit for them that would and be something yeah yeah that would be the one and i think contractually that if they could do something like that where they're doing uh second year like team option or partial guarantee yeah. or like stuff where they can where they still have the optionality to like use them as an expiring contract in a trade later uh i i think that's probably the win-win i mean tj warren's probably a little older than they're looking for and probably not quite as much of a shooter but you know you have a lot of imperfect options that you're toggling through right now He's he's the one who definitely increases their win now potential the most. And if if you were going to lose Tyus Jones anywhere, I think that anyway, I think that's a pretty interesting scenario. You would also lose Kyle Anderson yeah, and too, just, by the way. Yeah. So one of the things you have to look at is just would you you know would you rather just overpay Kyle Anderson on a one year nineteen million dollar deal to have him as an expiring contract to use in a trade all year? Yeah, that's interesting. Although he could, you would probably need to put a non guarantee on the end so you could trade him. Yes, um, correct, but. Uh, so that he wouldn't have uh, be able to veto a trade because he'd lose his bird rights if he did. But yeah, that's an interesting thought too. And Tyus, I think they need a very good backup point guard at this point. Uh, given Ja again suffering from some health issues, like I think I really, if I could, would want him to be on like the 32 minutes a game plan during the regular season and skipping a lot of back-to-backs. And they were so awesome with Tyus out there. He would be a, a pretty big loss to me. And it actually, seems like Tyus will probably have, yeah. I actually wonder a little bit. They were really good when they didn't play with a point guard at all. When they just played with like Melton and Bain or, you know, Melton and Anderson or whatever. Well, they like still would need a point guard if yeah, John yeah. is going to miss games though, right? <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, you don't want to take this too far. But I, I do wonder if yeah. like you draft Kennedy Chandler at 22, um, if, if, you, if you think the tea leaves are that you're going to have to overpay Tyus or or you're going to lose him entirely either way, um, that, that there are some different ways to do this. It, it seems like Tyus is going to have something out there around the mid-level. I, I think, don't know for how many years. I think the mid-level is his absolute floor. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was good that he was actually able to play a little bit better for them once jaw went down because he, he had really struggled and then in that warrior series and then once he knew he was playing 40 minutes a game i think it was it was a little bit easier for him so yeah but like warren that's an interesting one to me because they could you know if you could pay him 20 million but then a second year totally non-guaranteed yeah that it, it would be nice even maybe you could even get him for a, a third non-guaranteed year somehow if you could guarantee someone in the second year i'm just not sure what his health situation and what his market is going to be there are so few threes that maybe he'll be able to still get a pretty good deal despite having missed uh, about a year and a half at least in terms of the calendar and two full years in terms of the season yes i i will miss the uh the the once every uh, the uh, semi-monthly updates from the Indiana Pacers. That is, <laughs> his timeline has been oh, pushed man. back a few weeks. Um. So, what else do you want to talk about here? Should we talk a little playoffs? Yeah, yeah. Are there are there games going on? <laughs> and this Miami Boston series, I don't think I even want to talk about it at this point. Miami is just such a shell that it, it seems like it's Boston series to lose at this point unless Miami can kind of pull a miracle out and I think even if they do I'd probably favor Boston in game seven anyway that is how I feel as well um I they they just look very physically worn out I think Kyle Lowry coming back actually probably hurt them um he was good in as they built that lead in game three game game three that's true he he was good in game three I can't deny that and then but I think the thing that's killed them is uh Jimmy Butler Whatever's going on with his knee, like the last two games, has not been the same. He'd been the probably the best player in the whole playoffs, and just has not been that same guy these last two games. And Miami just cannot score as a result. They just, I mean, sure having Hero hasn't helped, but like Hero, honestly, like they hadn't been playing him that much even before then. And I just, I just like he was never a central figure in this series, and. Yeah, but perhaps if he hadn't been injured, he would have been. That's that's fair, but he I mean he he wasn't really that much of a factor even in the first two rounds. If we're being honest, no, that's, I I agree with you. Although in this, they just need some. Even like when your half court offense is 0.59 points per play, a Tyler Hero mid range pull up actually starts to look pretty good for you. I yeah, especially since that's the shot Boston is just daring them to take. So yeah. he's. He's the one guy most capable of of punishing that. But yeah, I think I think uh, Boston wins Game Six, um, and Miami scores like I don't know seventy eight points. Yeah, I guess you, you said, and I kind of scoffed at it that we would see scores in the nineties in this series. But yeah, the last game was ninety three to eighty. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess I here guess you were right about that. Um, well, I wanted to kind of go through our our list here, some of these things we like to talk about during the playoffs. That any coaching adjustments that have stuck out recently that you've really liked or failures to adjust that you've disliked? I thought Miami was slow to get Dwayne Dedman out of this series. I'm not sure it would have mattered, but I just, I, I thought he was hurting them right from the word go and that they just needed to play, to play small with Tucker at five. And it, it took them four games to get to that. Uh, I, I don't think it really would have mattered in this series though. Yeah. I think they're just really, especially if Tucker is in foul trouble or he's having his own issues uh, with his knee and ankle. I think they just wanted to, felt like they just needed to steal some minutes. I'm sure they were well aware that it wasn't working because it definitely was not working. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, they've gotten to that point now. You know, And also they were up in the series. I think they just didn't want to 
go too crazy with it and burn out but they did get there in game five and it, it didn't really help them um i would say i love the adjustment from yudoka basically going to bucks style defense which totally flummoxed miami in the 2021 series that milwaukee and miami played and also butler was rumored to be have some injury issues during that series but i, I think that's just completely cutting off the rim like that uh, has been pretty impressive i would also point to miami really crashing the glass hard in the first half of game five just knowing that they had no other way to score and just surprising boston with that although then they took advantage of them in transition the next yeah uh in the second half but that at least like kind of worked for a half so I'll, I'll when you're desperate to get even a decent half of basketball i thought was impressive for Spolster and the guys yeah yeah I, you know i mean we forget like they were up five at half and they were up because they had a 10 shot advantage uh 10 possession advantage between offensive rebounds and turnovers so they were do you know they, they were squeezing blood from a turnip a little bit, but they were doing as much as they could to kind of stay in that game, right? Yeah. No, I mean, you did feel like as soon as Boston cleaned up the turnovers and the rebounding that it was the dam would break it, and that's what ended up happening. Uh, and as other adjustment-wise, I would say for Dallas, I like that they've gone to more just straight switching now than they have. I thought that was a key to game four that I haven't heard discussed that much that they actually were willing to just say okay moxie kleba you're gonna get out and stuff and you're just gonna pressure him up we'll make him drive and then we'll just we're actually gonna like really help and force you to pass it out to shooters or we've got draymond and looney both on the floor and they don't have enough spacing to make them pay i thought that was pretty big just to be able to switch you hold staff to only five three-point attempts on the ball so and they even switched luke on him i thought luca was okay ish in in that role and they varied up a little bit with double teaming and whatnot but I, I thought they finally found something that worked defensively for the first time in the series because Steph had just been absolutely killing them with basically anything they tried before that were you surprised how easily Golden State went up 3-0 oh yeah well I picked Dallas in the series so of course I was <laughs> <laughs> yes that was a surprise I, I will admit okay that. um i mean i don't know that it was that easy i think dallas was in control for most of game two and the two games that dallas really wasn't as into contact was they just shot terribly from three and the two games that they i mean i think really if they just hadn't been so bad defensively in the second half of game two would be looking at a tied series and feeling like potentially dallas has a little bit of the advantage um also golden state losing Otto porter uh, hasn't helped them very much either it's yeah one of their, yet another of their few playable guys in the front court you're, you're coming out to these lineups with like moody and kaminga and pool all together and that's and damian lee and that's one of the groups that lost them the first half of, of game four so yeah i i've been a little bit surprised i think my biggest surprise though was that golden state had torched them quite as badly and it seemed like maybe they found a way to get that under control in game four but obviously you know i'm not picking dallas to win the series or anything with golden state having two home games left and a 3-1 lead yeah good gold state has also shown right that they can uh they can they can drop kick the first elimination game <laughs> right if there's one thing yeah, we learned about them last round <laughs> Well, and the the Denver one too. Although that one at least was very close uh, until the end. But and also pretty impressive for Golden State, as as much as it's kind of seemed rickety for them at times in these playoffs. 
that they've gone up 3-0 in two series and 3-1 in the other one and have never trailed in a series the latest it's ever even been tied was 1-1 and they started off on the road in memphis for that so they actually as much as it's kind of seemed like eh, they've had some really bad moments they've controlled all three of these series relatively comfortably a a very comfortable playoffs yes is is how i would put it yeah yeah and Um, uh, uh, yeah kavan looney did should should memphis give him the max (laughs) yeah he's been he wasn't as good in game four but yeah he he's been fantastic that was another thing that i didn't see coming in that series was that he would be able to switch on to luca and it would actually look pretty good even in five out situations so certainly got a a number of things totally wrong about that series uh any players who've really surprised you that have stuck out in these last couple of weeks you're like oh i didn't know that guy had that like he's actually he's he's pretty good i didn't looney certainly would be one of them obviously that brings us to that but anyone else who sticks out i mean i Otto Porter is like becoming a pretty valuable player for them and not having him is it it really cuts into their rotation. Like you said, you're looking at between not having him and not having Peyton. um, Could they turn to Bielitsa? Could they, would he just get torched? Like what, what are, what are their options here? Uh, I I fear he's good. He would get torched. Yes. Because you have, I mean, you're down to six guys that you more or less trust. And one of them is Poole, who you don't totally trust because you know he's going to get lit on D. And then after that, you're just, you're immediately into like Kaminga, Lee, Moody. I mean, I guess it's got, if you cut the rotation to to seven with Moody, I, I think that's maybe manageable. And maybe try to buy like two extra minutes with Juan Toscano Anderson or something. Yeah, I've been thinking he should actually play a little bit more then he has i think they just think he's too bad offensively but yeah i think he he's gonna at least he's not gonna screw up a, on defense hopefully yeah if he, yeah, i'm if trying he, to think of who else has surprised me yeah if he actually dunks the ball when he's dribbling unmolested toward the rim instead of passing out to the three-point line i think that would make him more of a threat <laughs> oh man yeah um yeah i'm not sure who else is really a, a huge surprise i think we're pretty familiar with most of the players on these teams at this point in time i mean i guess you could point again to grant williams being a very good defender against Giannis and bam just really not feeling even remotely comfortable attacking him at all you know that, I think that his, actually has been I, surprising I thought of him that, as, yeah. yeah that bam one-on-one just seems like wants no part of him right and like not even because that's yeah. I think one of the things that has also hurt Miami's offense these last couple of games where Bam has had these ISOs where normally he's just going to like shoot a jumper or one dribble or whatever and get like at least a halfway decent shot and he's just like he's he's not even really thinking about attacking in those situations. Yeah, and it was the same for Butler too. I, a big moment that stood out to me he's being guarded by Al Horford. And they're playing five out. So in theory, he just has all sorts of room to attack. And he's just like looking to hand off. He's not just going going after. I thought that was really maybe the most telling thing. And Yudoka even said, he and Jason Kidd continued to be amazing quotes in these playoffs. He said, yeah, he was just pretty much acting like a big. So we just decided to start guarding him as a big. We knew he didn't want to shoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an un- unbelievable admission right after the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and... I'm pretty sure Miami could see that on the tape. Like I could see watching it. You're not giving up anything by just saying that. Yeah. Um. For Dallas, at what point do you stop starting Dwight Powell? Yeah, it was interesting. They at the start of the third quarter they switched with him and it actually went okay. 
I think they still just need to get some minutes out of him is the thought. And there's still a there's a chemistry component to it as well. Like they actually had decent starts in game four, so I don't think they are gonna stop starting him. And I'm I'm not sure that I would either, frankly. Just have Kleba at the scorer's table, like right as the jump ball's going up. <laughs> Yeah, Moxie, just uh, just stay on the bike right at this at the start of the game. Because it's almost like because even when they go to the second unit, then it's not like they come back in with Powell. It's like they play Bertans at five sometimes. Yeah, uh, who would be your MVP of the playoffs right now? I think it's probably got to be Luca. What, what do you think? I mean, Jason, Jason, yeah, that, that's obvious. Be, yeah, it would be Luca. Uh, but I mean, Luca was so the probably the most defining result of these playoffs, right? Is is Dallas smoking phoenix in game seven and luca was awesome in that game and so i yeah i would i would go luca you see i thought jimmy butler had a real case until these last two games where he just his body betrayed him uh so the tatum i don't think he's been as consistent game to game i think he's he's had some really good games he's had some clunkers mixed in uh it's been more of an ensemble cast for for the celtics and then kind of similar thing with Golden State. Like, Curry's been good, but he hasn't been. I mean, you even alluded to it when the Memphis series is going on. It's like, he, has he really been good enough to carry this team to a championship? And it's it's been, again, more of a more of a team thing for Golden State, or at least, you know, the, the half of the team that they can trust to play in a game tonight. Um, well, I, I will say this. I thought in the first three games of the Dallas series that he was kind of at that level, particularly games yeah. two and, and then three. He had he was five of ten from three, and he was hitting those Steph Curry shots. But more importantly, it's all because of him that Golden State just totally lit them up, right? Like because of Steph Curry, that's why Kevon Looney has twenty one points or twenty two points, whatever it was. Oh, it was twenty two rebounds in Game Six against yeah. Memphis. So twenty one points in Game Two, and now maybe that they're switching, they figured something out a little bit schematically. But Steph Curry had them so freaked out that it was just a complete layup line for the Warriors in the first two games. Uh, and then, you know, he, he was able to really be the driving force in that game three. So I think he actually was at that point and also just the, the schematic problems that were caused for for Dallas. I, I think he was at that level. Throughout the playoffs, I, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but also worth noting again that he was coming back from injury as usual at the start of the playoffs and he's gotten to a, a pretty high level um so yeah i think like my first team all playoffs right now would be luca tatum Giannis would probably still have to be on there i think butler and curry that would probably be it for me luca tatum Giannis, butler curry yeah yeah i we I, can I, still use Giannis, right he was so good oh, in, that, in yeah. that second round series oh absolutely yeah yeah i think yeah i think, I think that's probably it um so one last topic here before we get going. Sure. Christian Winfield had some reporting in the New York Post. He, he covers the Brooklyn Nets. I thought it was a fascinating article. He said that someone told him last summer, who is familiar with the workings of the team, mm-hmm. that James Harden would leave, and then it would be Kyrie Irving, and then it would be inevitably Kevin Durant. And I thought most important, at least for us right now, was his reporting that the Nets are not willing to offer Kyrie Irving a long-term extension right now yeah that's, what does this mean if that's really true that yeah. could be seismic yeah absolutely yeah now Durant is under contract for four more years so right even if he got his feelings hurt it, he would have a hard time grenading himself out of there um uh, 
It's interesting because uh, I mean it could be done. It could be, it could be done. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not the the leverage isn't as is the, his leverage is not as strong as maybe some other guys would have. Um, yeah. Uh, Kyrie's he has a player option for 37 million. So if he opts into that, then he's there no matter what, and he can sort of be you know play a year on probation and then either get his contract or not. I think that's what the Nets maybe are hoping happens. And they know that nobody's going to, probably, nobody's going to give him a full bag. I mean, the thing you have to worry about is sort of the delayed sign and trade where Detroit says, fine, we'll sign you to this contract right now because we know, even though, we're, you know, you're not part of our rebuilding plan and, and we might not even like having you around our team, we know we can turn around in January and trade you and get a bunch of good stuff for it. Um, th- that would be the idea. Well, maybe, or that, or maybe he just does the same thing that he's been doing. And, yeah, and, that's and you got that on your hands. But that's I mean, the problem. Detroit, that's so, who cares? You know, for so the next much. Two years, so yeah. much of the league is scared of having him on their team on a long term contract that I think the Nets do actually have some leverage here. Where, and, yeah, I mean, there's not that many teams with max room to begin with. Most of them aren't really natural markets for. Kyrie because they they either already have a point guard in place or they're rebuilding teams and so there's not a lot of places for him to go and th- yeah that- uh, although again yeah like I I could see he also has some leverage just due to like his own uh shall we say unreliability he might just feel disrespected and be like okay fine I'll just go play here for the mid-level for a year <laughs> right right like, he, might, he, he might feel that way uh but yeah, you know, there's talk that his Nike relationship is going to be ending when that contract is over as well. And so, but he already he just cost himself almost twenty million dollars this year with this vaccination decision. So he doesn't. I mean, I'm sure he has enough money for uh, the rest of his days if he wanted to. Um, and then also, I think it's his uh, his stepmother now that is his agent. Like that's a fascinating wrinkle yes. on all this as well. I, I mean, if I'm the Nets, I would pay him. But just long term, in the sense of like maybe a three year deal, and then maybe non guarantees on the end of that or something like I, right. I would offer him, you know, a hundred million dollars guaranteed over three years. I would do that. That and I wonder if that's where this is heading toward. Is that the the real conversation is that the Nets don't want to give him the the full bag because they they feel like they don't have to because nobody else will either. Uh, I do think yeah, they're he's better. eligible for two hundred fifty million over five years. Basically. Yes, which maybe, I would maybe a little less than that. Little less I would that. I would certainly not not be doing that if I were them. And you, you know they're better off though in terms of their championship equity, right? That it that drops to near zero if it's just Durant and Simmons, right? Especially since we don't even know. Yeah, we we, we don't even know what what Simmons is going to do next year, and so to have. To, to lose Kyrie for nothing, I think, is really hard for them. They can't replace him. Um, you know, I mean, they could sign somebody with a mid-level or whatever, but, like, they can't actually replace him talent-wise. And so, and they have no draft picks to to do another version of the Harden trade, even if something like that came available. So they're better off with him. They have more trade flexibility going forward with him under contract where they can put him in another deal in the future than they do just letting him walk yeah i think that's right you you decided to do this to try to win a championship and durant will want to leave after this i I mean maybe just they feel like the financial losses 
are not sustainable, right? Because if you bring back Kyrie, then you got the three guys on max contracts, then you're crazy into the tax again. Maybe not quite as bad as the $96 million payment that you had to make last year, but pretty yeah. close to, to that again if you're going to actually fill out the roster. And so I, if there's there's an, also an article saying that Cy had lost 50 to $100 million this year and was unhappy with the performance on the business side. So does that mean a Prokhorov-style retrenchment or does that mean no, we just need to do better on the business side and maybe we just need to be a better team than a, a first-round exit. To, I mean, they still haven't made it past the second round, amazingly enough. Yeah. All right, well, that, that'll that be fascinating to follow. Yeah, go ahead. What, what, one last thing. Uh, I, I, I think I've said all the things. <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Also, a reminder that you can watch games with me and Danny LaRue getplayback.com slash room slash Nate Duncan NBA link to that is in the show notes you just sign in through your cable provider it's all in one window and we will be your commentators and depending on how many games Golden State is playing basically every non-Golden State home game we'll be doing for the rest of the playoffs so we hope you'll join us there and join us on Spotify live each week as well we'll talk to you all again soon